Hey, Duncan. James, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. Awesome. All right, let's get stuck into this week's episode. So, let's do it. Welcome to Cloud Streaks, a podcast where Duncan and I, who have been friends for quite a rather long time, uh, like to talk about an interesting idea, concept, or anything that we've just come across uh, in the zeitgeist of today's uh, wonderful events or occurrences and share these ideas that we like to discuss with you. So this week, we're actually going to talk about a graduation speech. Yeah, very interesting. I, I, can, I can tell everybody is hooked already because what is more memorable than a graduation speech? Well, actually, Steve Jobs' graduation speech, the one from Stanford in 2005, I think, is totally epic. I have to, I have, totally 10 out of 10 epic. I have to agree. And I'll be honest with you, before the Steve Jobs graduation speech, I would never, ever have given any thought to actually seeking out graduation speeches for any kind of uh, inspiration or reference to ways of thinking. But since then, I've actually come across one given by an Australian comedian called Tim Minchin. So what I wanted to talk what I wanted us to talk about today is the speech that Tim Minchin gave uh, back in 2013 at the University of Western Australia when he was awarded an honorary doctor of letter uh, to his con contribution to the arts, recognising his achievements. Um, so for anyone who hasn't heard, Tim Minchin is a comedian or a songwriter. Uh, and so for me, my first introduction to Tim Minchin was his peace anthem for Palestine song, where uh, he basically surmised that um, if the uh, Israelis and the Palestinians don't eat pigs, why not not eat pigs together? So I thought that was a brilliant piece of uh, lyrical uh, whimsy. <laughs> um, but what he does in this speech is that he gives out, I think it was nine, nine rules for life. Lessons. Nine lessons, thank you. <laughs> lessons that... Uh, um, it, it would be fair to say that he has learned in his own uh, travels that he wanted to dispel upon the graduating class of 2013. Um, so before we get stuck into it, there was one thing that he said at the beginning of his speech that I thought was quite uh, engaging or thought-provoking. Uh, and that was when he talked about the um, pursuit of finding meaning when there is none. And believe me, as he assures there is none. <laughs> um, so this I thought was actually important to pick up because it's quite central to the, the lesson that he gives in the sense that it doesn't lead him to becoming nihilistic, but rather romantic, a, a favourite word of mine. Um, but Duncan, like, did, did you get it? Did this give you pause for, um, you know, considering what you think about when people ask the meaning to life? Ah, that's an interesting one. Um, so, to correct me if I'm wrong, nihilism means that there is no meaning to life. Is that is that right, James? Well, nihilism is, yeah, it's more of a, I guess, a neurotic sense of that in the terms of um, if there is no meaning, what is the point of anything? And so mm. you just go yeah, down a very a, big rabbit hole of depression. Yeah, well, I'm not necessarily depression. I think you can be, you know, you just accept that there's no meaning. Um, like for me, um, no. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, I thought the lessons were good, but I, I've come to sort of believe that, you know, life has the meaning that you give to it. Mm. Um, and sometimes some people inherit that meaning from other places. Um, you know, maybe in the past it was, you know, heavily scripture-based. Um, maybe today there's, the, you know, whatever the socio-cultural indoctrination of what country or area you're from. Yep. Um, and so for me, um, I think life can have meaning. Um, but it's not that there is one meaning. I think it is what you choose to give to it. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really beautiful thing, actually, because you can choose to give meaning to things you want to and not to those that you don't. Um, and so I really like that, um, that, you know, at least in my mind, I, I'm not living some predetermined track. I think a tree doesn't really get to choose its meaning. You know, it's trying to be the biggest, strongest tree it can be, but I think humans do have the opportunity to do so. Oh, well, let's not assume that we speak for all trees out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I actually find, um, you know, your perspective uh, quite poignant in the sense that it is very similar to what I've come to, I guess, understand with my own particular beliefs on this as well. And this is why I particularly enjoy Tim Minchin's uh, take on it um, 
in particular because it's not about needing to find meaning because you can, in a sense, create it yourself. Um, there was this saying that, you know, the universe, is, well, what Tim mentions there is that leave it to humans to think that the universe was made for us, um, which I thought was a, a really nice uh, poetic uh, injuncture. But the universe is at least made of us. And so now here we are as sentient beings, now with the ability to decide what it is that we want to do with this one very short life that we've been given. So I agree. I think that we can agree, we can accept that there is no inherent meaning, but we can then at least create it for ourselves. All right. So number one, so he, he gave the, these nine lessons. So let's try and get through them as fast as we can. Every time there's a countdown list in our episodes, uh, we never get to the end. So let's see if we can do it this time. So number mm. one, um, he talks about that you don't have to have a dream. Um, Duncan, what, were you, what thought did you have on this particular one? I thought I'd just begin by reading out his extra bit here. If your dream is big enough to be a lifelong effort, it will give you something to do with your time. But by the time you reach it, you'll be almost dead, so it won't matter. Uh-huh. Rather, be micro-ambitious. Put your head down and work with pride on whatever is in front of you. You will never know where you might end up. Just be aware that the next worthy pursuit will probably appear in your periphery. Um, so uh, I'm not sure I agree with this. Um, to me, um, part of this, I think, is sort of saying it's about the destination, not the journey. And so from just a different perspective, if you're not enjoying the journey, I think you're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the things I was going to say is like, if you're not enjoying it, you're doing it wrong. Um, for me, there's something you're going to enjoy every minute of every day. And there's this idea of positive sentiment override, which I've talked about many times before. Um, but Danny Kahneman says it's 75%. So if you're enjoying 75% of the hours, let's say you work on for four hours, if three of them are good and one is bad, you don't care about the bad hour. So for me, um, I think that a dream isn't a destination. A dream is a journey and that you should enjoy it. Mm. So, yeah, I don't think it matters necessarily the end point. And not that it doesn't, but it, it needs to matter the journey as well. Yeah. Uh, so I agree with your point in terms of like you can have a dream for a journey and not necessarily a destination. Um, and I think maybe what um, the lesson here is, it's not about, um, I guess, ruling off having any kind of dream or goal at all, but it's in understanding that your life is a journey and that just because you don't have one end point in mind, that doesn't mean that you are wandering, not all of us who wander a lot. Um, mm. And so, the point I feel he's getting at here, which I think is actually important, it, it's something that I would have liked to have heard more of when I was a lot younger, uh, in terms of like, you know, when you're in school, you're kind of taught through culture um, in, you know, things like media and movies and, um, and shows and stories that every uh, protagonist has a dream. Every protagonist has you know, this ultimate goal that they're striving towards. Uh, at school, we have career planners. And by the end of year, I can't remember, year 11 or mid of year 12, we're expected to choose a education for um, university or college that we then anticipate will direct the rest of our lives. Um, so what I'm getting, what I'm taking away from Tim's lesson here is that it's okay if you have absolutely no idea what it is that you want to do in life. Um, but rather, don't let that lead you to despair. Um, take great pride in what it is that you do show an interest for or what you are passionate in instead. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, I think that's a really good point. Um, one of the things that I sort of like to say, or someone said this, I don't know who the quote's from, there are two types of people, those that don't know and those that know they don't know. <laughs> and so this is kind of my point here. Like, I think you should have dreams, but you should expect them to change because they're going to be one way, in, mm. you can look at it, improvable or another way of looking at it, wrong. <laughs> now, they might sometimes be 100% wrong and you you know, like, oh God, I need to totally do a 180 degree turn. And other times, like, oh, I need to do a 20 degree course correction. And so I think that for me, I, I've kind of, you know, let's talk about the journey. Um, I have like a long-term goal and I want to enjoy the journey, but my goal is constantly shifting. Yeah. So as I get new information about the world, then I'm like, ah, oh, I should update this a bit. And that's yeah. I've, what I've come to attach the fun to. Yeah. Not that it just, oh, I've, I know where it is. So now I know the destination. I can, it can be happy or I can relax. No, the fun is, is attached to learning how I can have a better destination than I had before. 
Mm. And all else equal, I think I've been able to improve the destination two steps forward, one step back. Right. Um, and as, as uh, you know, Steve Jobs uh, points out, it's very easy to connect the dots going backwards, but at any point in time, it's near impossible going forward. Um, mm. Even when you do have kind of this idea of what kind of goals you want to strive for. Um, and which is why I think it's also like, it's, it's kind of uh, uh, serendipitous in a way, the, uh, the way sometimes things work out in the sense that uh, when I was looking at what I wanted to do at university, I was um, in the very situation where I was plagued with this uh, overwhelming sense of I have no idea what it is I want to do. Like banking, maybe that's interesting. <laughs> um, like uh, physiotherapy, possibly, who doesn't like sports? But um, I was fortunate enough to decide to go for a commerce degree, not because I wanted to work in business per se, but I figured that anything I did want to pursue, having a rudimentary understanding of the commercial side would help me in that endeavor. So that would actually be a different way of looking at it in the sense that, well, I still think I need time to figure out what it is I want to move towards. But while I'm doing that, um, I thought it was probably in my best interest to give myself the most opportunity available to be able to still figure out which direction I want to head in. Um, sort of going back to the meta point, he said, you don't have to dream. Mm. I, I think you don't have to, but I think all else equal, I think it's better to do so than to not. <laughs> um, and the dreams don't have to necessarily have like a tangible end point. So I just thought I'd put this out like, you know, I want to be a doctor or something. Yeah. And so I think you can have a sort of different one, which is like, I would like to help make the world better and to enjoy doing it. And that's mm. sort of, you sort of like to boil it back. I think you could almost apply that. And then mm. it's like, well, James is going to do that through, you know, working at BCG and with his family. Uh, and I might do that through, you know, Ed Rollo, um, you know, an education company that I you know, helped yeah. found. Um, and so I think what I sort of realized was like, you kind of want to have the right, whatever you want to call it, principles or values to your dream. Mm. But then those things don't change so much to me. But then the articulation of the actual parts of it change a lot. So it's kind of like the right goal, but the strategy is constantly changing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to say one last thing, I think, then we can move on. But like this also goes back to one of our previous episodes where the path to enlightenment was not through seeking, but finding. And I thought there was a, a, a very strong correlation between the two in the sense that when Tim Minchin here talks about, if you focus maniacally on the direction you want to head, you might miss out on that shiny thing in the corner of your eye. Um, mm. And that was where I saw the, um, the nuance between, well, if you are seeking, then you will only see that which you seek. But if you are finding, then you are opening yourself up to opportunities that are around you that you may never have otherwise conceived or considered. So that's why I think um, not having to have a dream kind of opens up the possibilities for you. Okay. If that's um, not a good lead into the next one, then I don't know what it is. Don't <laughs> seek happiness. Like the word seek. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Find his, happiness. His, that's the, that's the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, his little um, blurb here was, happiness is like an orgasm. Mm -hmm. If you think about it too much, it goes away. <laughs> Keep busy and aim to make someone else happy. And you might find that you get some as a side effect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've, we've talked about this before, James did. But one of the things which I thought was really interesting is a lot of um, research on happiness now. And one of the things that just takes directly from his you know, uh, line there is that people say giving a present to somebody else gives you twice the happiness of giving yourself a present. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, what he's saying here, aim to make someone else happy and you might find that you get happy. Yeah. So... What I sort of look at is this way. You want to have mutually positive sum relationships. So sometimes, I don't know, you're giving somebody trying to help happiness because they're really sad. But it's kind of like just tipping, you know, you know, whatever, water into a bottomless pit. That's whatever the saying was. That's not the saying. <laughs> but like, you know, you, you, can't, you can't fill up this, this hole. It's just never going to yeah, be filled. Yeah. And you get some meaning and purpose, but it's also almost like a deficiency for you. So yeah. the best relationships I've found are mutually positive sum. So yeah. I try to do something for you and it makes you happy and it makes me happy. And there's a difference between making you less unhappy. And so this is this sort of beautiful thing. Um, so I found that, yeah, obviously there are some times where some of your friends are sad and you want to help. 
Um, but all else equal, hopefully you're giving each other energy that is above, you know, m- neutral, not just filling a hole. And that, that doing that for them also does that for you. Yeah. So, um, Duncan, if I could try and, uh, I guess, express what it is that you're conveying here, it's not so much that seeking happiness for your sake is what's going to get you there. It's rather through serving others that gives you the best opportunity to find the most happiness. Would that be fair? Uh, so I was just picking up on part of his line there um, yeah. and make someone else happy. So I think happiness um, can come from many places. Sometimes mm. it's actually just from trying to find happiness. Mm. Other times mm. it's from trying to find meaning. Yeah. And, and then meaning has a second order outcome of happiness. Other times oh. it's from trying to help others and it gives you happiness. So I suppose what I would say is that try to have as diverse a happiness diet as possible. Yeah. And there's not like a right or wrong happiness necessarily. I think happiness at the expense of someone else is probably not right. But I think that you should be hopefully having a diverse, you know, lot of inputs. Um, and so as an example, like I have one day a week, which is hedonism happiness, which is selfish happiness. <laughs> yep. No, so that's exactly what I was thinking in the terms that like, so when he talked about don't seek happiness, I was like, okay, maybe there's a, um, a more philosophical notion of what it is that we should be seeking. But his example he gives, which is happiness is like an orgasm. The more you think about it, the more it goes away. And the immediate thing I thought of was hedonism or hedonism. I don't know. Which one is it? Hedonism, hedonism I think. <laughs> <laughs> but um, to, the, to the point he makes, um, so hedonism um, for uh, the unindoctrinated is basically pursuing happiness for the sake of happiness. And like an orgasm, as he um, points out, the more that you pursue that for the sake of itself, the harder it is to achieve. Um, and so that's why I really like your example, Duncan, because you talk about happiness not as the goal, but as the output of actually finding greater meaning through a pursuit or helping others. Yeah. Um, I suppose, again, I think there's many ways of happiness, but like 18-year-old Duncan had only really experienced, so I, I don't know, I didn't really find happiness from going to school. Like happiness from catching up my friends and stuff, but like learning about maths and science, I was like, I'm doing this because you tell me I have to, but I am not enjoying it, <laughs> you know? Um, and so what I've come sort of seeing, I think part of this is like the, I get happiness from work now, not just a little bit. I'm not talking about, oh, this isn't bad, like deep, amazing happiness. Like honestly, like the most happy I have ever felt is when things go right at work. So there's this like beautiful mixture of like you're doing this problem solving that makes the world better with other people who you make better and they make you better. Mm. So it's just like multi-pronged. There's like four things that are going off and giving you happiness Mm. at the same time. And this is just something that was totally alien to to 18-year-old Duncan. Um, And now I'm like, whoa, I, I don't even figure it out like, oh, eat chocolate, happy, you know? I don't know. Go and have, you know, talk with your mates and talk crap, you know, and, you know, just having a little bit of a laugh, you know, sort of happy. But, like, this is kind of like four avenues of happiness all at the same time melding together. And and when you get it right, like, if you just stop and pause, one of the things that would be like, and let the feelings come to the fore because you can drown them out by continuing to talk or by continuing to problem solve. Honestly, you can, like, bliss out, Mm. like, to the point where you're just like, holy crap. Like, I, through thought alone, gave myself some incredible happy high. You know, not going to eat chocolate or not going and, you know, to use his word, having an orgasm or something, you know. And I, I, it was just, basically, I didn't realize that you could have thought-led happiness. I thought it was almost just feeling-led, like, you know, have to eat chocolate or, you know, have an orgasm or something to get happiness. And I was like, this is out of control. This is yeah. out of control. Yeah. So, um, let's revisit what it is that Tim, I think, is trying to convey here, that happiness isn't the goal. So... Yes, there are ways, um, there are good ways and bad ways of achieving happiness. But I guess if we zoom out and try to identify where it sits in the wider landscape of what it is that you want out of life. So, I don't know, would there be a hierarchy of needs here? Yeah. <laughs> um, because like other um, intellectuals that um, I enjoy listening to have, um, oh God, I'm not going to pronounce it right. What do you got for me? Do it. it. <laughs> What? Who is it? Is it tooted or touted? Touted, <laughs> yes, tooted. <laughs> uh, I, I actually want to like just mispronounce things for fun because there's so much joy in it. Like I used to think it was like I don't know, embarrassing, but now I'm like, nah. I'm yeah. just gonna on purpose mispronounce words. Yeah. Tooted. Yeah. <laughs> 
right, okay, so other intellectuals have touted things like, well, you know, maybe the goal is responsibility or service, service, servicing yourself to something other. Or servicing greater. yourself? Or, no, or no, serving something greater than yourself. <laughs> yeah, go on. Um, yeah, thank you, Duncan. Um, and others have said things that like, well, happiness is progress. So maybe you're, you should dedicate your life to always, you know, developing and progressing in some particular way. So I think he's right in that you shouldn't seek happiness for happiness's sake. That's hedonism. Um, and, you know, thinking about an orgasm, it becomes self-defeating. So ironically, I would probably have said instead of, to, you know, seeking meaning, um, we already have Tim's take on that. Maybe another way to use what you previously said, Duncan, is that in finding something you're willing to hurt for, something that you care about so deeply, you'll go through hell for it or as I like to say, a land of poo sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me gives life meaning and it doesn't have to be utilitarian or divine. It just can be meaningful to you. Mm. Um, I think that kind of, for me, I look at it slightly differently. There isn't one way to get happiness. There's many, many, many ways. Um, and again, I think you should have a diverse happiness diet. Um, and there also aren't necessarily right and wrong. So focusing on happiness, I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I don't think hedonism is wrong. Um, you know, I think hedonism done poorly is wrong and hedonism done well is right. I think selflessness done poorly where you're sort of doing this to cover up, you know, for instance, I don't know, someone needs help, but you're also in a bad place. And so you cover up your problems by trying to give them, but it's also a net negative, you know, neg- some outcome. So yeah. for me, I do sort of six days a week of selfless happiness and one day a week of selfish happiness, a.k.a. hedonism. And so uh, I know that's a sort of a rough summary or, or you know, oversimplification, but like one day a week, I'm like, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm not going to worry about trying to help others. I'm going to eat chocolate. I'm going to sleep in, you know, I'm going to, you know, whatever else it is, uh, you know. And so for me, I, I do think seeking happiness is fine if you do it in the right way. Um, and I don't think that there's, you know, right or wrong happinesses. I think you should have a diverse, you know, type of happiness or, you know, diet. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Number three. Remember, it's all luck. So understand. Standing that you cannot truly take credit for your successes nor truly blame others for their failures will humble you and make you more compassionate. Empathy is intuitive, but it is also something that you can work on intellectually. I really like this one um, because I think the message here is not about just, well, submit yourself to the wills of you know um, determinism because how your life pans out is... Um, beyond your control that's not what he's getting at what he's getting at is that you shouldn't rate yourself so highly (laughs) or be so hard on others um, because of the reasons that he gives here and by doing that mental exercise um, it would hopefully make you more humble as a human being Hmm. um i agree with the sentiment but it's also a very you know remember it's all luck i'm like no it's not all luck but it's not zero luck <laughs> um, so there's a saying I like, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah. Um, and I think that's fair. Um, yeah. So for me, um, I think you need to be, and this is maybe what he was saying before, kind of looking for luck to happen. One of the things I've sort of realized is not just the harder you work, the more you look for luck, the more you find. I know this has been some ridiculous, but there are these lucky things yeah. that happen all the time, but I didn't realize them. And Sort of so. So, for instance, the more I have learned about the world, the more I understand it. So, so in any given point, I might see more than I would have seen in the past because there's yeah. more things that I'm aware of, and then something lucky will happen. But if I'm just like eyes front, eyes front, look at the thing in front of you, I don't see it. Um, yeah. And so, I think luck is important, um, but I think it's almost more important that you look for luck. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that you don't like be so I don't know focused or whatever that you don't see it. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree um, that the harder you work um, equates to being luckier. Um, and what I think has really helped me understand this a lot more is the Pareto Principle. Uh, Pareto Principle. Uh, <laughs> I think it, I'm pretty sure it's Pareto. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it is too. Um, but for um, um, in, in, in other circles, this is basically the 80-20 rule. Um mm-hmm. But what what um what this what does that mean, James? Sorry, because some people may not have. Okay, well, um, so this is where any creative endeavor. So when you are producing something that requires any kind of creative input, um, the successes of that endeavor will go to the top twenty percent. 
always. They, they've shown this in more than just economics. They've shown this in the art world. This is also true in music. This is true in um, you know movie production, all of these different kinds of areas. Um, but the follow-on to this is that a little success pushes you higher up the success hierarchy, which means that you're more likely to have more success than onwards and upwards. Um, you know, so when you start at the bottom, there's little to no opportunity. You really literally have to pull yourself up by your bootstrap. But when you get to the next level, there's some opportunity. So having already worked hard to get where you are, um, you are receptive to these opportunities. So more can easily lift yourself further. This goes all the way to where Duncan outlined, um, you know, in the land of, well, you know, I can see more opportunity around me now. Therefore, you know, it feels like I'm luckier. Yeah, um, I think, you know, opportunity begets opportunity if you want to look at it that way. Um, and so the more, I remember like, I don't know, 20-year-old Duncan wasn't being offered any opportunity. <laughs> um, but I've been able to sort of, you know, two steps forward, one step back, make some progress in certain areas. And now people will, you know, hey, we should partner on this thing. And I'm like, oh, five years ago, I would have killed for that. Now I'm like, I'm too busy. <laughs> and I feel like, I don't know, ridiculously ungrateful or whatever the right word is. Um, but I don't know if, if luck is opportunity in some respects, like someone coming along and saying, hey, do you want to do this? Um, then, yeah, you can definitely compound it. Um, and so this is, this is the other thing, maybe looking at it. Um, in any good partnership, there should be excess economic value added. So if one plus one equals three, uh, you get something good that you wouldn't have been able to get if you didn't partner. And so what I think you want to do is you want to split that excess value in the most equitable way possible. So let's say you are bringing equal value, 50-50 each, then you should get 50% of the excess value each. And if you do this, then people will be like, ah, oh, that was good. I, I you know, enjoyed doing that you know, partnership with whoever, Duncan, um, and I want to do another one. And then they recommend you to other people. But if you were to go in and say, like, oh, I'm going to take 80% of it, of the excess, and they're going to get 20, but you bought 50-50 each, then even though they're getting more than when they otherwise would have partnered, they'd be like, nah, dickhead. <laughs> um, and so for me, um, luck is kind of like, I don't know, serendipitous outcomes that you wouldn't have otherwise made yourself. They're brought to you as opposed to you, you know, creating them. Yeah. And I found that by being a good partner, you um, it basically, hopefully, therefore, have people want to partner with you again in the future and to say positive things about you. And so luck begets luck to sort of James's point. Yeah, agree. Um, so I think where we're getting to is that, you know, it's not all luck, although luck does make up a large portion of the pie. Um, I, to me, it, it can be considered maybe more so just half the equation. Um, you know, you can be incalculably lucky, but you, I think you also have to be able to capture it. Um, and so, you know, the lower you start along the, the hierarchy of success, you know, the more likely you are able to capture this. Um, so I guess maybe one thing to we can remind ourselves, or I try to remind myself, is that you know, just to always push yourself and aim higher. You know, there's always room in the space just above you. Uh, and so the higher up you go, um, the more opportunity you will find until you get to the land of like, well, I now have an abundance. So it's, it's no longer about trying to find a good opportunity. It's about pushing back everything until you get to a, a hell yes, so to speak. <laughs> hmm. Um, this is one I think I thought would say like fortune favors the bold they say which basically is like you're going to try things you miss 100% of the shots you don't take and when you're trying stuff you, you have the opportunity for more luck to occur um, and so one way of looking at this is like the longer you've tried to solve a problem for me the more ideas you should have had all else equal so if I tried for one year versus two years well I should have more ideas over the two years but I didn't know what the, how to do make it work at you know the very start but i find that as i go along i have ideas which could be seen as luck mm. but it's only because i've put myself out there to try and learn this mm. and i think some people are like well i shouldn't try it until i know how to do it and i've found that you know, i can't know how to do it until i've tried it it's the exact opposite yeah. and so you need to create the conditions or the environment for luck yeah and then you just keep pushing on and then these things happen you're like oh my god that's awesome. I didn't see that before. And so part of luck is creating the environment for it. So fortune favors the bold. You, at least for me and the two businesses that I've been involved in, Edrollo and Our Tale, 
they've changed wildly since the beginning. Like, wildly. And I couldn't conceive. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I had three plans and I started off with plan one, but it ended up being that plan three was right. Like, it, it, what we're doing was not conceivable to me. Like, totally out of the realm of conception. And so I think you need to be able to have, like, for instance, I don't know, your website live so you can collect data and then you can show, do some user testing and then you learn something from user testing otherwise wouldn't have learned. And so, yeah, there are two types of people, those that don't know and those that know they don't know. If you know you don't know, try to set up the world to learn as much as possible and then some of these learnings will be luck. Yeah, I agree. All right, next lesson. Exercise. Hey. <laughs> Go. Um, so this is where he basically gets to the point that you can be as intellectual as they come, but you can't be can't, so you might as well not try to be, but it's about taking care of your body because you're going to need it. Uh, um, it is quite uh, you know, confronting that most of us will live to be nearly 100, and even the poorest of us will achieve a level of wealth that most humans throughout history could never have dreamed of. Uh, and this long, luxurious life ahead is going to make you depressed. <laughs> uh, you know, said in true Tim Minchin fashion. So what I think is very, very pertinent is that we need to take care of our bodies. These, these wonderful meat sacks that we move around in uh, do a lot more than just keep us alive. They regulate our mood. They they determine our interaction with the world outside of our brain. And they also um, basically determine our experience with the outside world, whether we're healthy or feeling very unfit and very lethargic and very, uh, I guess, not whether or not we're in a lot of pain. <laughs> yeah. Um, I used to sort of feel that like my body was just a life support system for my mind. Mm. Um, and that you wanted to have it in good condition. Um, but now I sort of believe that health is a combination of physical and mental health. And if you have poor mental health, it'll make you physically health bad. I didn't really know the connections between that. There's huge amounts of studies. So if you're unhappy, you live less like years, you get more sick, you know, all the works, right? Yeah. Um, and if your physical health is bad, it makes your mental health bad. So you've got to have them both. It's kind of like either you've got good mental health and good physical health, and you have good overall health, or if you have one of those other two bad, it'll affect the other one. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I suppose for a while, um, I, I kind of realized that, you know, physical health was good because if you don't do that, you'll get like a heart attack or you get diabetes or whatever, right? Um, but I didn't focus as much on physical health. So I think exercise is very important, but just health. <laughs> uh, and I think, you know, physical and mental health um, and for me, anyway, it's easier to figure out what to do for your physical health. Eat this, exercise that, sleep this much yep. than mental health. Mental health is far more of a black box for me. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> it's super duper duper important. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, and I think one of the biggest blockers to, you know, this kind of like, you know, just taking care of your body and, you know, doing things like physical exercise is something that you just touched on now, which is about, well, just preventing getting sick or preventing yourself from dying early. Um, and a lot of people, um, I don't know what the condition is, but we, we basically, we um, substitute the now for our future selves. You know, like I feel fine now, why, why sacrifice, you know, the time I have now to doing something like exercise just so that I'll feel better later on in life. And so we don't do it. Um, but the, the, the main thing I want to say to that is that it's not just about preventing yourself from getting sick. Exercising makes you feel, makes me feel like exponentially better. Like I feel so much clearer in my mind when I've gone for a run. I feel so much more easily able to concentrate when I'm at work or home with my family when I've had a good diet to keep my mind clear. So I feel like Exercise is not just about preventing yourself from feeling bad. It can actually lead you to feeling much, much better. I totally agree with that. Um, so one of the sort of things I used to know that, like, obviously, if you exercise, it's better than not exercising. Um, that's not mm -hmm. something that, I don't know, was some kind of <laughs> genius breakthrough I realized. I think mean, it's pretty obvious. And But it, I used to find it a tax. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I have to go to the gym, you know, and then I'd get, like, I don't know, drained from being there. And so it was almost like... The exercise, which was meant to be good for my physical health, was making my mental health bad because I was like, ah, oh, this is bad. I hate being on the treadmill or whatever else it is. And so I realized that you've got to try to make physical exercise 
a mentally energizing thing. So improving your mental health. Yeah. Um, and so I think a number of people do this in different ways, like team sports, they love it. Um, for me, um, it's what I do in the morning um, before work and it's the most peaceful time of the day because there's no one you know, trying to speak to me, no email, no Slack. And I also get to listen to like audio books and podcasts. And so I don't really find other time during the day because there's too much going on. And so I've sort of joined going to the gym with this time of peace as well as time of reading and learning. And so I really look forward to it now. And so I think what I didn't concentrate on in the past was like, oh, it's a tax on the system I have to do. Now, no, no, it's something I proactively want to make time for. And it's energizing for my mind and for my physical body. Yeah. Firstly, I can personally attest to Duncan's morning exercise regime because he and I actually share our health stats on our Apple Watches. And so every morning... (laughs) <laughs> I get a little ping that says, Ding, Duncan has finished his exercise. Ding, Duncan has just gone for a walk. Ding, Duncan has just gone for a run. I was like, God damn it. Does this, <laughs> like, does this person do anything other than exercise? It, it, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it really does, uh, I think, bring a very compelling, um, I guess, reason for the impact it has on you know your, your the quality of life that we can have, um, but I also want to say that it's not all. It doesn't just start out that way. I, I remember very clearly that uh, exercise for me used to be a very painful uh, endeavor, kind of like how you say it was a tax. Like I saw it as something that was pain that I had to bear, yeah. um, and it wasn't until I stuck with it for what felt like years that I finally <laughs> broke And also through. was years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that I finally <laughs> broke through to like whether you want to call it a flow state or um, just a point in which it no longer becomes this burden, but this actual, um, you know, endeavor that I enjoy. Like I enjoy going for a run, not just because um, it puts my brain into diffusive mode thinking where I can be more creative, but I actually enjoy the physical, um, you know, act of just running to the beach or running um, around the neighborhood kind of thing. Like it, the, the exertion um, is pleasurable to me. So I think it's important we point out that, you know, this is not, if you, if you don't find exercise enjoyable, there's not something wrong with you. It, I think it starts off that way for most people. But um, by going through this and being consistent with it, um, it can actually turn into something enjoyable. I think the, this is what I said before. If you're not enjoying it, you're doing it wrong. Now, I want to be very clear that my sort of threshold for enjoyment is do I like 75% of the time or more? Never. It's not 100%. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Some days I'll get up and I'll go to the gym and I'll be like, I'm tired. I didn't sleep well. I don't want to do this. Um, uh, but I think that it used to be that, I don't know, I didn't like school you know, and I didn't like work. But now, you know, I have good day, bad days. I hope that's very clear. But all else equal, 75% of the days are good or more. And I used to not like going to the gym. And a big part of this is just getting the stories around it. So, you know, one, this is good for my body. Two, I get to have this peaceful time where it's just for my time. You know, three, I get to learn all these things. And so sort of getting that together um, has, has really returned it from this thing I didn't like doing to this thing that I really love doing. And so I think that if you're not enjoying certain parts of your life, either stop doing them or find a way to change how you conceive it mm. so you get to a point where you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, agree. Okay, next rule, uh, lesson, sorry, and this one is my favorite. Be hard on your opinion. Uh, and to quote uh, Tim Minchin, a famous Bon Mott asserts that opinions are like assholes in that everybody has one. But I would like to add that opinions differ significantly from assholes in that yours should be constantly and thoroughly examined. Beautiful. It's good. Be- brilliant. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we must think critically and not just of the ideas of others, but, on, but being hard on ourselves. Take, the, take your ideas or your beliefs out to the veranda and hit them with a cricket bat. Be intellectually rigorous. Identify your biases, your prejudices, your privileges. Most of society is kept alive by failure to recognize nuance. Mm. Mm. I think um, we've talked about this one as before, but like for me, I hope to better learn over my life and as such, change my opinion on things. <laughs> uh, they say changing your mind is a superpower. One of the things which I think society does a really bad job of is telling people that they, it's okay to do this and not just okay that they should. 
So for instance, I don't know, a politician who changes their mind on something is like typically undermined by everybody. But yeah. honestly, like I change my mind on stuff all the freaking time. And I think also at school, um, you know, there's a right answer. And even if you're getting an essay for like English or something, you want 10, you know, um, but you can get 10 from two different contentions or whatever. And so I feel that at least, you know, the modern developed society is not doing a very good job at telling people that not only is it okay to change their mind, but they should be proactively attempting to be hard on their opinions and to examine them thoroughly. Um, and so, yeah, I think I've tried to do this. And mm. the more I've done it and realizing that there's two types of people, those that don't know and those that know they don't know, once I've realized that I don't know, I know I don't know, hopefully, then I'm just looking for why I'm wrong the whole time. And yeah. that this is not bad. This is not embarrassing. This is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No, one of the things I feel um, that I picked up in, um, you know, in my life that I think we don't do well enough is that a lot of our identity we feel is tied to our ideas. Like, you know, the point of which school does it. Like, you know, if you don't do well on a on an English exam in terms of like you assert like a, uh, articulating your understanding, then you know, you don't get a good grade. Where um, what I think has been a real big learning curve for me is that, you know, you don't need to tie your idea to your identity. You know, if you put forward an idea and it turns out to be wrong, that doesn't mean you're necessarily stupid or that you're uh, you know that you need to just like put yourself into the humble pie corner and not come back out of it it's an opportunity for you to learn and to evolve and to change your idea based on new information that's available to you so um what i like yeah. about this is that it um it gives you this freedom to say like all right well here's an idea let's be intellectually rigorous with it and if it's wrong then let's just change it yeah totally um i think that you know, school, like you do debating or you have whatever else it is, you know, ties your ego to being right. But I think you should tie your ego to learning. Yeah. And learning is why you actually should, you know, um, be wrong or should update your opinion. Um, and so once you've realized that, you know, this is super, super fun, that you can have a discussion with people that's, we're sort of talking about, that's positive sum, they help you learn, they help you understand, and you do the same. It's not about someone being crowned victor. Two two people enter, one person you know leaves, you know whatever. You're like hell yeah, this is the best. And so, <laughs> I think it's not being hard in your opinions. It's almost like it's it's like a negative view. It's like look towards learning. So I'm going to really change this. Don't be hard in your opinions. Look to learn, mm. and realize that this means you're going to change your mind on some things. Yeah, and yeah. that's beautiful because you hopefully have learned a better way to think about something. Absolutely. So learning is lovely and have <laughs> other humans around you that help you with that. Yeah. So this is similar to um, his lesson on luck in that we can gain a lot by humbling ourselves. It's the notion that, um, you know, in this sense, much of what we know today is predicated on, um, you know, false notions that were widely believed in the past. You know, like we used to think the earth was flat. We used to think that the sun revolved around us. Um, so it stands to reason that, um, quite possibly a lot of what we think we know now will be shown to be either wrong or inaccurate or somewhat ineffective sometime in the future. Uh, so we can try and then tie ourselves to this, you know, this idea that, well, you know, if I am, you know, in a position where much of what I consider could potentially be shown to be wrong, then I could just, instead of trying to, you know, position myself as someone who has all the ideas, who, who knows the right way, instead position myself as someone who is the most open to learning about what it is that I currently hold is misguided and how I can, I guess, adapt to that and learn. Totally. Um, I remember growing up, like, I don't know, some of the things that I thought were more hard and fast was like science, right? I'm like, yeah, this, this is, you know, less open for interpretation, basically. <laughs> there's, a, there's a pretty clear right and wrong. Um, but then I saw this sort of quote, it's like, all past scientific theories have been proven wrong. Therefore, all current ones will be proven wrong. And I remember like Newton was a genius, you know, Newtonian physics, you know, but then along came Einstein with like relativity and then quantum mechanics and then string theory, et cetera, et cetera. And so for me, um, yeah, um, we, we can hopefully learn how to do things better than in the past. And looking to why, to how to learn to improve is I think the positive spin on being hard on your opinions. Um, so they say strong beliefs held loosely, uh, 
Yeah. And I think that's good. Um, you want to believe things, but you don't want to be an ideologue and believe them even in the inf- you know the face of you know overwhelming information or evidence that it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe yeah. let's move on to the next one quickly. I think because we're going to run out of time. Um, it's be a teacher, and I'll read his quote please, quickly. Please be a teacher. Teachers are the most admirable and important people in the world. Share your ideas. Don't take for granted your education. Rejoice in what you learn and spread it. And so I think hopefully very clearly, be a teacher here isn't at school, be a teacher. (laughs) It's that you can help teach other people. Mm. And we were talking about this from above. Giving someone a a, a gift, they say, gives twice the happiness to giving a gift to yourself. Well, how do you do that? What is a teacher? A teacher is somebody who helps someone learn something. And so if you're giving them a gift, it's a, a way for them to learn how to do something better. This is like you'd be hard on your opinions. Well, be a learner is kind of the other way of saying that. Mm. And sometimes you can be finding ways that you can learn yourself, but other times you can help others learn. Um, and so for me, yeah, why wouldn't you want to help others? And yeah. therefore, in some respects, that's being a teacher. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I, I love how he goes it to great lengths to clarify that even if you're not a teacher, be a teacher. And so that I think he's inviting everyone to being part of this space. Um, I believe personally that we all have something, whether it's some knowledge from our own experiences, from our own lives, that is worth sharing or passing on. And I think this kind of gets to the heart of, um, you know, there is value in what we know and that there's value, that value is in passing it on to someone else so that they can learn from your own experiences. Um, And I think it's it's, it's a very noble cause that cuts to the heart of like how we as a species have been able to progress in that we have refined our ability to share and pass on knowledge so i agree being a teacher is definitely something that i aspire to in being a parent to to children um but it's also something that i try and do at work and that's not to be confused with like telling people how to do their job but in offering things like feedback on things that i think will help them um, with greater awareness around the way that they're impacting on other people. Totally. Um, so a quote I like from Carl Jung, although James' um, last name is Carl <laughs> Jung. <laughs> and I didn't want to correct him because I decided that I might be wrong, but I've since like listened to a lot of other people and it's definitely Jung. Um, so also, I, like, I think um, it's kind of fun. Like I, I'm, I'm going to say if I think it's wrong and I know that I'm going to be wrong some percentage of the time. So everything that irritates us about others can lead us to a better understanding of ourselves. Mm. And so this is one of the things like you, to be a teacher, you need to be able to find something to help someone grow. Now, this is not necessarily telling them how to grow. Often it's just provoke thought. Hey, James, have you thought about this? And James like, hmm, I hadn't thought about that. And then it can update their view. Whereas like, hey, James, you forgot that bit, dickhead. And he's like, oh. F you, <laughs> you know, and then instead of having a, you know, a positive sum interaction, you have a negative sum, you know, antagonistic, you know, you know, bloody debate or something. Yeah. And so for me, um, yes, I think you want to be a teacher, which is to help people for yourself and for others um, and in all circumstances. Um, so at work, um, you know, uh, one of the things that, you know, they say is that you know, at work, when you join, nobody expects you to know what to do. They expect to train you on the job to give you feedback. Uh, and so this is, you know, things. And but in a relationship, they don't expect you to, you know, need training or know what to do. They expect you to somehow work. And if it's not working, they're not the right snowflake. And so I've taken this thing. I've come to believe that, like, you know, why the hell should I know how to communicate? You know, if I haven't done some reading and learning, I did ten years of maths, but I didn't really do any on like how to communicate. <laughs> I know English was ostensibly perhaps this, but writing an essay wasn't necessarily helping me communicate with other people, especially the essays that I was writing. Um, so. For me, um, yeah, I think that you can help others in all circumstances at work, help mm. yourself, you know, in, in relationships like James. And this is actually one of the funnest parts of this podcast is that we listen to it after and then we give each other feedback and it's mm. the best. Yeah. It's the best. Absolutely. Um, one, something that I didn't actually originally think of that, um, like partly listening to uh, what you've been, been discussing now, Duncan, is kind of like an offset of being a teacher is that it improves you as well. So like totally. one of the things that I really liked um, listening to Andrew Grove, who wrote um, High Output Management, which is a seminal book, seminal, seminal Andy book. Grove. Hey, no, it said Andrew S. Grove on the book. He does, but everyone calls him Andy. I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful book. I've read all the books he's written. Um, he's no longer with us, unfortunately. 
Um, but I would highly recommend reading that book, High Output mm. Management. Great. Um, okay. Only the Paranoid Survive. Um, there's another one which I forget. He's just a free show well, in, in, in a really good way. In trying to make it related here, um, one of the things he says is that reporting is 90% for the person writing the report. And where, I've, where I find there being um, a strong correlation here is that teaching forces you to put yourself in a position where you know enough about the subject in order to convey it to an audience. This is, this is what I feel like is similar to when um, at work we have lunch and learn sessions where we present back to other people in the office on something that we um, you know, have recently gained in knowledge, whether through experience on a project or through um, educating ourselves on the new piece of technology. But because I know I need to teach something, I then apply myself to making sure I understand it well enough in order for me to be able to explain it to someone else. Totally. Um, I think I said totally, totally too many times. <laughs> totally <laughs> overstepping on the totally. Uh, totally overused totally. Um, totally. So <laughs> in education research, there's a thing called the self-explanation effect. And what this is, is that when you need to explain something to somebody else, i.e. to self-explanation effect, it means that you understand it significantly more. Um, and so if you're teaching somebody, and I think teaching is almost the wrong word. I just rename it helping. So teaching is helping somebody learn. And teaching is not telling them, I think, how it is. Because often if you tell someone how it is, it's, it's in the sort of tone that is the least digestible. <laughs> um, but what James was saying, um, I think most people have felt this. If you have to explain something to someone, you understand it better. And there's a whole lot of education research, which is called mm. the self-explanation effect, yeah. which definitely backs that up. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, we're going to power on through the last three lessons. So the, the next one is... Define... Uh, got, let's do it as fast as possible because, yeah, I think we're going to, in about define four minutes, we're going to do a summary. Go. By what you love. So I see it, um, so this is where he looks at, quite often, it's very easy for us to just in, uh, indulge in this sense of like, well, I don't like this, or I see myself as anti-Donald Trump, because <laughs> so, it's so easy. You know, like pain is a receptor that calls itself to attention. So the same with negative aspects, right? I, I can much more easily identify with things I don't like because they're far more pertinent or they reveal themselves to me in a much more easy way. But I think I, I agree with what Tim said here, which is we should focus on defining ourselves by what we love. Um, and there's, there's, there's real utility to this. So um, to quote uh, Paolo Coelho, uh, when you... To quote to Paolo Coelho, writer of the Alchemist. He wrote The Alchemist. Come on. I've read The Alchemist, but I well, did not... It was written by Paolo Coelho, and I know that... <laughs> Is that how you pronounce it? I know that's how really you good pronounce his really name, because I listened to the YouTube pronunciation of his name, so I did had you? to... Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I tell you what, before I listened to the pronunciation, my brain did a cognitive leap, and it thought it was Pablo Coelho. So I would have called him Pablo, and everyone would have been like, "What the what the f game is? Is Paolo? It's Paolo, not Pablo." Um, but um, what he said was, "Is um, it's beautiful? Is that when you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you achieve it." Mm. So, like, what what where this relates back to Tim's lesson is that focus on what you love, focus on what you want, put your energy towards um, the the desires and the positive notions of your life, and I believe, then you will be surrounded by more of it. Yeah. Um, i got a quote for you. Uh, so it's by French philosopher, and I'm going to butcher this, Montaigne, uh, I think from the 1700s. Um, so the most certain sign of wisdom is cheerfulness. Mm. And I think the sort of reason I'm saying this is define yourself by what you love, but not by what you hate, as an yeah. example. Um, and so one sort of thing that I like as well, and I've forgotten who said this, um, when a person who is wise, um, so you know, sees something they don't like in the world, it makes them happy because it's something they could help the world with. Okay. When a person who isn't wise sees something they don't like in the world, it makes them unhappy because it's a reason why you know there it justifies. For instance, I don't know, maybe wisdom here can be interchanged with like unhappiness. <laughs> but so you know, a, a sure sign of wisdom is cheerfulness, and so yeah. I think this is really important. Um, what you love can be something that you think the world needs to change. Um, I don't know, whatever. Climate change is not a big enough focus for the world. Okay, that, that, that can make you happy. 
not annoyed. And I think this is really, really interesting. Be the change you want to see um, and sort of be happy about it, not all pent up. I think we should do um, summary in a second, James, if you want. Uh, or do you, uh, you want to start or do you want to... Um, now, we'll, I can we'll, start. We'll, like, why don't we just like combine the last two in a very quick <laughs> single way? All right, all right. All right. Quick, Res- quick, respect quick. people with less power than you. I think this is truly important um, because this goes to, you know, one, remembering um, where you come from and two, treating people um, from the content of their character, not from the final letters on their business card. Kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and lastly, don't rush, um, which I also think is very true for, um, you know, people growing up today. Everything is, you know, instant gratification. You want to, you know, pursue like, oh God, what does Simon Sinek once said that like someone at uh, a very high profile organization just joined and they said six months later, I want to quit. And he's like, why? Because I'm not making an impact. He's like, you've been here for six months. Like, you know, we need, we, um, we overestimate our ability to make an impact in the short term and we severely underestimate our ability to make an impact in the long term. Um, you know who said that, James? Tony Robbins. Oh, well, I think it's actually Bill Gates initially and then Tony Robbins is re-quoting him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, I think, okay, so unless, Duncan, you want anything to add to those, we got there, we got all nine lessons. So, like, <laughs> yay um, p- Treat people with respect less power than you. I'm like, duh. Um, you know, the, gold, the, gold, the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated. Mm. Um, more than that, if you're talking about with less power, it's probably going to be in like a work circumstance. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, typically in a social setting, you're kind of all equal. Um, and uh, if you want to work with people, um, I've forgotten who said this, like, you know, if you tell people what to do, they won't follow you from very long. But if you provoke thought in them and inspire them to want to join you on a journey that they will. Um, and so not only... Is it like something that you should do just because, you know, be a decent human? If you want to build, you know, a, I don't know, part of a company and, and be part of it, you know, work with others, if you do well, at some point you're going to have some kind of responsibility, i.e. probably more power than somebody else. And that's not going to work at all if, if you can't work with them. So, yeah. The other one, don't rush. Um, I think that I was so hell-bent as an example in the early days of Ed Rollo of making sure we got as much done as possible yeah. that I forgot to enjoy it for the first couple of years. Yeah. Um, now, there were many enjoyable parts. There were also many not enjoyable. It was like hectic out of control. Yeah. Um, but I was like, next problem, next problem, next problem. And I, I, and I was just like, I didn't take a moment to smell the roses or to pop the champagne. And in hindsight, there was all this joy and beauty that I let drift by. And it's kind of like the same from above. Like, there was all this luck in the past that I didn't action. Something would happen, lucky, but it's, it's not only lucky if you do something with it. So, so luck initially is an opportunity. Then, you know, the, the second part is that you take that opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like opportunity that, oh, I'm going to let that one slide, you know. And so um, that was kind of the fortune favors the bait. The, the fa- fortune <laughs> favors the bowl. God, a spoonerism, <laughs> spoonerism, that one, bad. Um, and so for uh, me, um, don't rush doesn't necessarily mean go slow. It just means to me, enjoy it. You know, you, you work on these things, make sure you enjoy it. Uh, and yeah. that doesn't mean you're going to get less done, but you get more done because you enjoy it. Yeah. All right, summary time, James. You want to go first or you want summary, me to go first? Summary time. All right, I'll give it a crack. Um, so this was a graduation speech given by Tim Minchin um, quite a while ago now. Um, and he starts off by saying, do not try to find meaning where there is none, which I think is a beautiful way because to start off a graduation speech because you're about to embark on your life outside of school. So great, now you have no meaning. But that doesn't mean you can't create meaning for yourself. So number one, you don't have to dream, which is in a way true. But if you have a dream or if you instead have a, um, I guess, a way of wanting to always have a journey that is enriching and rewarding for you, then that too is just as um, invigorating. Don't seek happiness, maybe find it. Maybe find happiness as a result of actually pursuing something greater um, through, you know, uh, meaning, doing something meaningful or doing something that, you know, you have a greater sense of responsibility for. Um, while luck is a great part of your life, it doesn't mean that you don't have any say in it. Uh, be open to opportunity. Seek it out. But you must be able to capture it. No, luck will not always just fall right in your lap. Uh, exercise, 
very important. I love going for my runs. If I don't, I will not be able to function properly as a human being. <laughs> um, but I think it's very um, pertinent to this sense that we have these one bodies. It is sustaining our lives for this very short period of time we're here. So I think it makes sense that we then treat it with the utmost care that we can. Being hard on your opinions means just being open to learning. Being a teacher means know something well enough that you can share it with others. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts that we can provide. Define yourself by what you love, I think is, you know, a inroad to wisdom because by defining something by what you love, you know, makes you cheerful. Um, respect people with less power. Very, very true what you said, Duncan, in the sense that this basically just opens yourself up to greater enjoyment and success in life because respecting people um, regardless of what power they have over you, means that you will be more likely to be surrounded by people who want to help you. And don't rush, like I'm rushing this summary, um, because um, there is a long road ahead of you. And as long as you're, you can be steady and persistent and not give up and not stay down when, that, when you fall, because you will, then you will get through it all. Yeah. Cool. Um, I do sort of a different type of summary. Um, I think that speaking about articles like this um, with your friends is, is a really good idea. So a bit over two years ago, um, I was like, James, when we catch up, we're going to have like half an hour of reading between this and then we can discuss the article. And some articles like this with the nine lessons give really good um, spring off points. Uh, you know, don't seek happiness. And so I found that I do this with like, I don't know, my mum or do this with, you know, friends, etc. And that this has enabled a far more delicious and nutritious conversation than it was before. Um, and I think the key thing is to, to be careful about not trying to have an opinion on don't seek happiness. I agree. Now I'm going to try to make sure that all the others who don't agree are shown wrong, um, that you're having a positive sum discussion where you are listening to the other sides of you know what's happening so you can get an improved understanding. So um, if you want to have an idea for your, your friend or family, maybe just come and be like, hey, I've got this. And then what do you think about this? But I think careful not to turn into an argument, to have it into a, you know, um, energizing, not a draining um, conversation. Um, and that you might find that, you know, then you, you look forward to catching up with people a lot more in the future. All right. I think we're done now, James. Well, right. Just over the hour long, Mark. Yeah. 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 All right. We'll see you all soon. Yeah. Right.